We're going to read from the Bible now. It's the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, if we've uh, not met. And uh, just for these early few weeks in uh, January, sort of breaking normal patterns or routine. We're not uh, sort of systematically working our way through uh, a book of the Bible. We're um, just thinking topically for a few weeks. Uh, It seems a good thing to do at the beginning of a new year under the theme of don't waste your life. So last week, don't waste your life uh, by worrying. Uh, Next week, we don't waste your life by neglecting your gifts. And uh, this week, don't waste your life by forgetting eternity. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll look at Luke 16. Our great God and Father, thank you that uh, we have here the words of the Lord Jesus, and they're words that we need, even though in some ways they're words we prefer not to look at, not to think about. We need them. So, Father, please be about your work through your word this morning, we pray. Give us a clearer 
sense of eternity to shape how we live in the here and now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, on a sort of background quest to uh, educate the next uh, generation in our household of uh, some classic films, we, uh, we plough our way through one or two things. Uh, Gladiator, classic, I don't know, you decide. Uh, but that was, uh, that was on the menu uh, back in the, uh, the autumn, I think, uh, with this little tagline, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Now, don't get too carried away by the view of the afterlife in uh, Gladiator, but that's a helpful sentence. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. And that really is the point of this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. And it makes, well, Jesus puts it very starkly. So it's a helpful one to look uh, at this month when we're thinking topically. Don't waste your life by forgetting eternity. This life is short. This life, just the beginning. Eternity, it's forever. Uh, Phil alerted me uh, last weekend. Uh, there was a good uh, radio, um, good radio, uh, good interview on the radio. Um, uh, Simon Gillibo, some of you would have read uh, his books. Uh, in 1999, he moved to Burundi. Uh, at that time, the FCO rated it the most dangerous country in the world, which he was for uh, that and the succeeding few years due to the civil war taking place there, uh, driving down certain roads, just inevitably uh, driving to your death. Uh, um, more settled now, but never the most stable of places. Uh, Simon and his family were missionaries there for 20 years. They've just uh, moved back recently. And he's describing a life out there, particularly perhaps in the early years. Uh, on numerous occasions, he received death threats um, as a uh, Western missionary in Rwanda. Uh, someone wrote to him and said, unless you exit the country in the next week, I will come to your house and tear out your eyes with a knife. On another occasion, Another threat, I'm coming to your house with a grenade. I'm going to blow you up, you and your family, unless you get out now. And that's what they lived with. So often he would describe, yeah, I mean, he was pretty well connected in, in um, sort of circles with uh, particularly uh, US officials, and they'd sort of tip him off, look, you don't want to be going to that town now. By the way, there are people outside your house, don't come home tonight. That's how he lived for much of the time when uh, he proposed to his now wife. It is an unusual proposal. It was not simply, will you marry me? It's, uh, well, we've been moving closer together. Are you ready to be a young widow? Probably not the most romantic you've ever heard. But he said it was, just, to our minds at that time, pretty obvious that we would die in Burundi. Most Westerners did. The death toll in the country overall was incredibly high. So I just thought I'd be honest and say up front, well, look, should we marry? But the all likelihood, you'll be a widow within a few years. I expect to be ambushed on some occasion. The interviewer asked him, how do you keep going? I mean, surely it's the lowest point of your life when you get that sort of violent death threat against you. 
Could be reading his response. I wrote it down. He said, one thing I found is that death threats are actually very useful. Facing death in the face gives you a heightened sense of how wonderful it is to be alive. It enables you to make the best use of your life. It makes you prioritize people over stuff. It stops you walking through life with spiritual apathy, which is what most of us in the West do. Well, of course, these things are slightly hard to, uh, to nail down, but by conservative estimates, uh, the network of uh, missionaries that he's established in Burundi has seen over 150,000 people become Christians in the last few years. So even were he to go tomorrow, you'd say, there is a man who has not wasted his life. There is a man who is very clear that we have one life. And what we do in this life echoes in eternity. And in many ways, that's what Jesus tells us this story in Luke 16 to remind us, to inform us of that. Now, the context really of Luke 16 is all about uh, uh, money, uh, the attitude that different people have to money. We will touch on that, um, but I'm afraid primarily we're looking at this story to get a clearer view on eternity. So we're going to look at it like this. There's a judgment to come. There's a chasm in eternity, but there's a chance now. There's a judgment to come that'll right all wrongs. There's a chasm in eternity that cannot be crossed. And there's a chance now to listen and to speak. First then, verses 19 to 23. There's a judgment to come that'll right all wrongs. Two very different men. That's the point, isn't it, here? Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. His gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So clearly on one hand, you've got this man who's extravagantly wealthy. He's dressed in purple. Purple is a very rare dye. Uh, in the first century, you have to sort of squeeze it out from little slugs, apparently, is the detail of it. Uh, so very rare, therefore very expensive if you're, if you're dressed in purple. He's got linen pants on. Uh, they're very expensive in the day. He lives in luxuries, gated community. Uh, that's the rich man. On the other hand, you have Lazarus, and he has nothing. So verse 20, he's a beggar. He's covered with sores. Verse 21, he's longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, the scraps. Verse 21, even the dogs came and licked his sores. How, how bad does life have to be before you lie there and just allow a dog, a stray dog, to come and lick you? I mean, you're, you're a mess at that point in life. But one thing Lazarus does have is a name. In all of Jesus' parables or stories, and probably about 50 if you tot it up, um, he's the only person who gets a name. So you think, oh, Jesus has given a name to someone. Lazarus just means God helps. So I think we're meant to read that although this man, Lazarus, has nothing materially, he knows God. He relies upon God. I think we're meant to see that. Verse 22, of course, here's the leveler. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died. Doesn't matter how wealthy you are, you die. But there's also reversal. So the, Lazarus goes to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried 
But he's in Hades, verse 23, in torment. Because death is not the end. But what we have in this parable, I don't think we're meant to read it as a sort of literal description of the topography of uh, heaven and oh, there's a river there and, oh, and there's a chasm there. And because the other stories and other pictures Jesus gives would slightly contradict that, I think. Well, not contradict. It's hard to fit them all together in one uh, sort of topographical picture. But what Jesus is doing, he's explaining reality. I mean, the point really, the main point is the contrast between the two figures. Death is not the end. The rich man is suffering in judgment. Lazarus is enjoying blessing. That's the, the separation and the reversal is the point. Of course, one question you want to ask in this story is, what, what has the rich man done wrong? Well, firstly, it, it's, it's clear that he's indifferent to this poor man, Lazarus. Verse 24, he seems to know the name, Lazarus. Uh, Abraham, send Lazarus to, uh, to help me out. Um, so he seems to know this bloke's name, the beggar, but he's done absolutely nothing for him, apart from let him die outside his gate. But I guess secondly, more obviously or, or, or more importantly, he's never trusted God. He, he knows, later on in the story we see it, verse 30, that there needs to be repentance. There needs to be, I've lived my life wrong, Lord but I look to you for forgiveness. There needs to be repentance. And repentance in this life determines our place in the next. So what's the rich man done wrong? Well, yeah, he's lived for himself. He's been indifferent to others because he's never recognized he needs God. He needs forgiveness. I mean, just to be clear, the, the, the audience, worth um, just checking, we've got that right. So but back up uh, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 16, who's the audience? Who's Jesus actually speaking to? Well, verse 14, uh, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this. Another story Jesus was telling about money. They were sneering at Jesus. Jesus said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You only care about yourselves, says Jesus. I mean, these Pharisees, they're, they're moral people. They're not criminals. They're not obviously wicked. But Jesus says, no, in your hearts, you're utterly self-absorbed, self-satisfied. That's the issue. They think... Well, we deserve God to approve of us. And Jesus is saying that no one does that. Your lives may look good, but you have a fallen, depraved heart. Just like every human being. We're all, in one sense, completely knackered, broken cars. Now, some can have nice spray jobs. Some can have reconditioned wheels but underneath the engine is still knackered. Well, every human, it'll vary how we present. We may look good or not, but internally in our hearts, 
self-absorbed, self-satisfied. So every human has darkness in the heart. We're capable of fine words in public, but vicious words in private. We're capable of acts of kindness, but also shocking indifference. We're capable of altruism, but staggering selfishness. And Jesus says, yeah, that's true of everyone's heart. This rich man in the parable, he's not an atheist. He's not someone who says, I hate God. He talks about Father Abraham. No doubt he's a, well, Jesus is, is addressing the Pharisees. No doubt this rich man, he's meant to be, or thinks he is, a sort of good Jewish believer. He assumes he'll be fine. And in that sense, he may have more money than you and me, but this rich man is, I think, very contemporary. He lives a very pleasant life. And thinks, well, there might be a judgment. I don't know about that. I just don't think about that. If there is a judgment and there's a sort of division in the afterlife, I guess I'll be fine. But let's not take it too seriously, for goodness sake. That's this rich man. What's he done wrong? Well, he values stuff more than people. And he doesn't recognize there's a problem that he needs forgiving for. Then Jesus says, no, look, there is a judgment to come. And it'll right all wrongs. And all of us have some things we've done wrong. There's a judgment to come that will right all wrongs. Now, just before moving on, it's worth saying, because we do all want this, don't we? I mean, it makes us, un it unsettles us, the story such as this, but we do want it. Uh, we live in the West. And uh, most of the time then, we, well, we live under the rule of law and most of the time it works pretty well. Uh, and so we don't often see gross miscarriages of justice. So when we do, then there's outrage because they're unfamiliar to us. I mean, what a blessing that is. In many parts of the world, just, you expect corruption. You, you don't expect justice. We do. We do in the West. So when we don't get it, there's outrage. So I don't know, just in the news at the moment, that the parents of Harry Dunn, you know, the, the young lad driving a motorbike who, who was um, uh, knocked down, death by dangerous driving. But the, the, the woman who did it, she's married to a US diplomat. She fled overseas. She's not going to be brought back. And the family say, it's not fair. It's death by dangerous driving. Where is justice? And they're outraged. And the politicians go, well, it's all very complicated. I'm sure it is. Or the victims of Jeffrey Epstein, who, you know, took his own life. And they say, we've been denied justice. Or the girls in Rotherham who've been raped. And the police knew it was happening, but didn't want to cause upset. And they say, that's an outrage. And we say, yes, it is. And these make the news because it's when justice doesn't happen, we hate it. Then Jesus says, oh, no, there's a day of justice coming. All wrongs. All wrongs will be righted. There's a day of judgment to come that will right all wrongs. But then secondly, just pushing on with the story, that there's a chasm in eternity and it cannot be crossed. Verse 23. So the rich man in Hades, when he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. 
Well, of course, this is a slightly strange exchange. Verse 23, you've got the rich man in torment and agony. He doesn't appeal to God. He sort of doesn't even say he wants to change places. He seems to still be treating Lazarus as someone beneath him. Can you, um, can Lazarus come and, um, and sort, help me out here, please? It seems as if the point is his character hasn't dramatically changed here. He's taken his character with him. Just worth briefly reflecting that, that um, in the New Testament, Jesus gives three really, they're overlapping, but, but three distinct pictures of hell in the afterlife. There's destruction, there's punishment and exclusion. And they're overlapping, but they are different. So there's destruction. So he'll say in Matthew chapter 10, uh, fear, don't fear man, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Destroy. Destruction is one picture. Picture punishment is another picture. So Matthew 25, Jesus is the judge who sends some to eternal life and he sends others away to eternal punishment. It's judgment language. But here, primarily, it's exclusion. I mean, Jesus uses the picture elsewhere. Matthew 7, I, I never knew you, he'll say in eternity, away from me, you evildoers. But here, the picture really is exclusion. So verse 23 the rich man sees Abraham far away with Lazarus. The rich man is, as far as we can tell in this account, on his own. And everyone else is far away. Because there's a sense in which for this rich man, this is just, the continuation of his life here on earth. On earth, he was selfish. He was self-absorbed, um, turned in. And if you're self-centered, it just separates you from people here and now. You can't form decent relationships here and now if you're self-centered. But he's taken this with him into eternity, and he's, the fullness of it, he lives out. He's excluded from heaven, but just excluded from all other relationships, so it seems. He's just on his own. It's just selfishness now given full reign in eternity. Self-centeredness means separation. And in many ways, I think it's the worst of the pictures we're given exclusion from the presence of God, it's horrific. To have lost one's parents is horrible. To have lost a child or sibling in youth is tragic. To lose your friends is misery. To lose your health is painful, but they are nothing compared to losing God. And being excluded. Even in this life, you can lose contentment, but it's the afterlife when you lose all that is good and you are just alone. Abraham's response is gentle, verse 25. Abraham replied, son, that's a gentle use of language, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. 
And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to get from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross from there to us. It's too late. There's no second chance. Now is the time you have. When people die, it's too late. course I know this is an upsetting picture. In the end, of course, as C.S. Lewis put it, if you're objecting to hell, what are you asking God to do? To wipe out past sins and give them a fresh start? Well, that's always an offer in Jesus. To forgive people? That's why Jesus came. People just don't want it. To be left alone? You want God to leave people alone? That's what he does. And it's miserable. There's a judgment to come that will right all wrongs. There's a chasm in eternity that cannot be crossed. Last thing, there's a chance now to listen and to speak. Verse 27. The rich man answers, well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Uh, do you notice, unlike uh, the popular misconceptions, no bravado of the rich man here. No, well, I'm in hell. It's where all the cool kids are. No. He begs. Please, can you go and tell my brothers what you do in this life echoes in eternity, that you reap what you sow, but Abraham, Abraham's reply, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Look, they've been given all the warning they need. No, says the rich man, verse 30, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. Verse 31, Abraham says, no, they won't. It doesn't matter what miracles are done in front of their eyes. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Do you not see, my son, the problem is, is their problem is like yours. It's not lack of information. It's they don't desire to trust God. You know, so when you see, um, it's an increased rarity, I guess, these days, you see people smoking. And again, the evidence, you, know, you look at a packet of cigarettes, it's not subtle these days, is it? I mean, just there, smoking kills. And if someone gets lung cancer, they're not going to say, well, no one told me. Well, the evidence was there all along. I just desired a fag or 20 a day, whatever. And Abraham is saying, look, son, it's just the same. You don't lack information. The reason your brothers don't trust the Lord, it's not a lack of information. They just don't want to. They don't desire to because they think they're fine. They think they don't need forgiveness. Well, that is a tragic mistake with eternal consequences. What are we to do with this? Well, of course, the first thing to say, I guess, is... Uh, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, now is the time to trust, 
to listen to Jesus and put your trust in him. In God's kindness, he did send someone back from the dead. Jesus himself, three days after he died, he, he rose again. And um, of course, the question would be the same as this one. If you're here and you're not a Christian, is it really lack of information? Is that what it is? The Bible would say it's not for lack of information that you haven't become a Christian. You don't want to. Well, let me just plead with you, really. Take these words seriously. The heart of the Christian message is that Jesus has endured hell, so you don't have to. That's why we sing, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the song of the Christian. That's the heart of the Christian faith. He's endured hell for me because he loves me. And now is the time for you to accept that love if you've never done so before. Please don't say a strange thing sometimes people say, oh, I think God is unloving if he's created a hell. No, you've been told of his love all your life but have rejected it. But for most of us here this morning who are Christians, I guess we read this and we're reminded now is the time to speak. We live in a culture where people don't have Moses and the prophets. That is, it's not inherent. It's not sort of endemic in our culture. People don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't have the same framework. There's a chasm in eternity. And many of those we see every day are heading there the wrong way. And I don't know what it means for you and for me, but the one thing I know is this. It, it means we can't do nothing. And I say that to myself. You can't read this and do nothing. The question that's really been eating at me personally this week is, is it possible that I, or let me put it this way, is it possible that, that we could be more like the rich man in this story than Lazarus. We could be like this rich man and care more about the good things of this life than we do about people who are dying at our gates. That is, people who are facing an eternity separated from God. Could that, could that be true? Could I be more like him and care more about having my good things now than people dying? And that can't be true. That can't be right. And so for myself, I think I can't do nothing. Simon Gilbo has recently moved back to the uh, UK after 20 years in Burundi, he's still overseeing the fundraising for the mission outreach there. Towards the end of his interview, he commented, I have to tell you, I am far more anxious for my spiritual well-being now we're living in the UK than I was in Burundi. 
we, that's my, me, my wife and three kids, we're no, lo- no longer looking death in the face each day. So we're recognizing that we're in danger of spiritual apathy. We have to be intentional each and every day. And I don't know him, but he's a good man. There is a man who prioritizes people over stuff because he knows that people last into eternity in heaven or in hell. And therefore, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. And now is the time for those of us who are Christians to speak. To speak of the forgiveness possible in Jesus Christ. And that is how we don't waste the one life we have. Now is the time we must speak. We mustn't waste our lives by forgetting eternity. Let me leave this in prayer. Great God and Father, for many of us here, these are uh, things that we know. These are things we're familiar with. These are the things that we believe. And yet, Father, you know for each and every one of us, and it'll be different slightly, but you know the, the distractions of life, you know the desire to have good things here and now. And it is possible to live this life functionally indifferent to the eternal destiny of those around us. Father, our prayer must be that you give us such a clear sense of eternity that we long, that it is our desire to speak more freely of the love that you've shown in the Lord Jesus Christ of how wonderful it is to know that his wounds have paid for our ransom. Father, work that in us, we pray, for your name's sake, so that we don't waste our lives, but for the good of those around us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.